I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast. Not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the defending World Series champion Cubs. Hi, this is Ken, I'm Rice Cube, and with me is Dabinsky, uh, who has a lot of dogs and cats, and they want to be part of the podcast too, so you're going to hear that. <laughs> How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing all right. You know, since we talked last, I don't actually remember when we, we talked, you know, like you and I last, but uh, I did get a job, yay, I'm going to start teaching, uh, not this coming Monday, but the following Monday, so yay job. Uh, I guess you're starting soon as well, huh? Yeah, yeah. We uh, we, we go back uh, Monday, so uh, my, my freedom is up a little bit sooner than yours, but uh, it is good to hear that, that you are employed, uh, and being employed is good. They take our job! And it's like one of the tougher jobs out there because we don't get a lot of funding and they don't pay us a lot. But, you know, someone's got to do that job. And, I mean, you're a history teacher. It was JFK who said something to the effect of where we do this not because it's easy because but because it's hard. So that, that always kind of resonated with me. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Yeah, um, it's a great line. Uh, I, I'm more of a path of least resistance kind of guy, but I mean, that's that's just me. Um, but it, it is stirring. He was a, a great speaker. Definitely uh, the inspiration for Mayor Quimby. Yeah, there are quite a few in there, I think. But uh, yeah, certainly, certainly was part of the the mix for for Mayor Quimby. Uh, so uh, I guess we should start with the game plan. The Cubs were on a bad stretch, then were on a good stretch, and then they started doing wacky things again. And of course, we had Justin Wilson got the John Lester injury, among others. Sticking to sports, oh my gosh, that's going to be a rough one. And, you know, maybe that's what you were smelling as the hot takes uh, spewing from our page earlier yesterday and today. I thought maybe we yeah, could yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about curse busting and just moving forward with both the Cubs and our lives. So how's that for a plan, sir? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. That sounds like a plan. I, I really like to get into the hot takes that, you know, racism is bad. That's such a hot take. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. As the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy-colored dreams, toward the days that kept us yearning for tomorrow. First up. Let's talk about the bullpen, in particular, the big trade piece of the deadline, Justin Wilson. What is going on with Justin Wilson that he's starting to walk so many more people? You know, I, it's hard for me uh, to pin down exactly, but, I mean, it, it seems pretty clear that, you know, for a guy who pretty much throws 
only fastballs. I mean, I think it's you know something like ninety percent of you know the pitches he throws are either a fastball or a cutter. That you know, if you don't have command of that that one pitch, it makes it really difficult to do well. And the unfortunate thing about Justin Wilson is that. You know, he had been really, really good for the Detroit Tigers, um, really a, a level that he really hadn't been at before. The year prior with uh, the Tigers, you know, he actually kind of struggled for a, a bit. I mean, it, um, you know, he had a, a bit of an elevated walk total that year. Looking at it, I think uh, he's, you know, he's had periods where, where his command has not been, you know, particularly strong. Doesn't really help much right now, but thankfully, you know, the Cubs, got him in a situation where they have him for more than just this year. So even if he isn't able to find it this year, um, they've got some guys to cover it. You know, Brian Dunsing's been um, really unbelievably good compared to, you know, sort of at least my expectations. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike Montgomery's going to be back in the bullpen. So, I mean, you've got some lefties. I mean, the, the hope was that Justin Wilson would be, you know, a, a high leverage guy that you could put in front of Wade Davis. Um, he had been pitching like that in Detroit. And, you know, there, there's nothing to say that he can't get there. It's just, it's really hard when you're really kind of a, a one-pitch guy, I guess. I mean, technically a cutter and such are, are, are different pitches. But if you don't have command of that one pitch, um, it's very hard. And he... When you're also only going out there for uh, an inning, you know, to face a few batters, it, it's pretty. It's it magnified, pretty yeah. Right, it can spiral pretty quick on you. Yep, and I, I think the stuff has been good. It, it's like you said, it's the command, and it's like a lot of people because of the fact that it was a trade. He wasn't like the guy in front, like. They're already going against, say, Justin Grimm or uh, Pedro Strope. And these are guys who helped the Cubs win a World Series, obviously. Bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. But everybody is walking batters. Like Carl Edwards Jr. had a stretch where he just walked everybody and then he served up a home run. And maybe that's a confidence issue or maybe it's mechanical. We don't know. But he looked good today, Friday afternoon, and the previous time as well. Hector Rondon, for whatever reason, he had like a tight back or whatever, and he was out for a few days, and now he's back, and he served up a couple of home runs too. You have the other guys just walking people. Even Wade Davis is walking like over 10% of the batters he's faced. And it's just really weird how poor command is, even though you know that these pitchers are good. They have really electrifying stuff, but they're just not locating it as well as you'd like, and that's just extremely annoying, especially when it almost seems like every single walk that is issued is scoring on you. Yeah, no, I mean, walks are, are always going to be bad from a pitcher's uh, standpoint, particularly when you're talking in bullpen, you know, late in the games. I mean, those are always magnified. Some of these guys, I mean, that's, that's part of the package with them. I mean, Carl Edwards Jr., I mean, has struggled with his command you know, throughout his minor league and big league career. It's going to take a while for him to find it, and he might never find it, you know, completely consistently. But the bullpen has been weird even now i haven't checked in a, a, a few days but as you know their rate stats in terms of you know run prevention you know strikeouts they rank very high i mean it's been a a very good bullpen 
statistically the one area they've been weak in all year, which has been walks. And the, the frustrating part of it is, is it seems to be a random different guy all the time. It, it's identify all these guys. I mean, there's periods where, you know, Pedro Strope has been you know, a lockdown guy. Mm-hmm. Today got looped a little bit, but you know he also hung a couple pitches, and that resulted in a few runs being scored. You listed all the guys. You know Carl Edwards was unhittable for half a season, and hopefully has found it again. Here it's looked better the past week, but mm-hmm. you know went through several weeks where he was not a, a trustworthy arm. And, you know even Wade Davis has looked mortal at times. You know he's still got the perfect save streak going right now but he hasn't been as sharp i mean today was a was a pretty good outing aided by javi of course but some of it is just sort of part of the package with these guys i mean justin Graham has struggled with command issues throughout his his career rondone um strope i mean those are all guys who at points have not had solid command but they do have incredible stuff so when they're locked in they're very good yeah, and I think for the most part this year, they've been more locked in than not. And this this club is a little weird, and I don't blame any Cubs fans like you or I. I'm sure both of us have been frustrated at times because the defense is good, but then the offense doesn't score. Or the pitching's awesome, but then the defense allows seeing-eye grounders to go through. Or the offense is awesome, and then the pitcher gives up like nine runs in the first inning, and there's nothing you can do. Uh, especially when it's like a guy like John Lester, and he has a lat strain now, and he's on the DL. Maybe that's that's why, like he had the command issues. But sometimes it, it just seems like, unlike last year, nothing really gels together consistently as much. Yeah, I mean, frustrating is probably the best word to describe this year. It is still incredible to to think about you know just again in terms of fandom of this team you know that we're talking about you know sitting in first place here you know in the middle of august with a very strong roster very likely to be in the playoffs again for a third straight year to be as frustrated with this team as we are but um, nailed it exactly last year everything just gelled together there was a, a two-week stretch before the break where, you know, everything went wrong all at the same time, and uh, they got it back together, and they were great. This year, it's it's never been consistent. You know, it's beginning of the year, the starting pitching was terrible, and the bullpen was really, really good. It just, it's when it seems like one or two phases locks in, another one pops up as, as a whole. Uh, the, the starting pitching has been really good recently by and large Lester of course got blown up in the last start and yeah some of that is command and as uh, Madden talked about his velocity was down in the last few at bats uh, prior to coming out of the game some of that was also less than stellar outfield defensive play and so it was just you know well played well placed hit and yeah that definitely like the wind didn't help the fact that it seemed like every ball just kind of dropped in front of a outfielder and you know when you hit a ball 86 90 miles an hour and it's it just drops in front of you there's nothing you can do about it you've made your pitch and he pops it up but it nobody can catch it and what you're gonna do right and unfortunately this day just enough balls sailed this way and that that the cubs just couldn't pull out the victory but again with say st louis is trying to right now hold off the pirates they'll be one and a half games back if they win the Milwaukee Brewers at this time are 
down a, a bunch to the Colorado Rockies, so they'll be two games back. Despite everything that's happened, again, the Cubs have a one-and-a-half game cushion, and they can get out of this weekend with the Blue Jays in first place. And it, it seems to help that you have a guy that's ready-made like Mike Montgomery. He has shown that he can be good as a starter and a long reliever, and it, it's been really exciting to have him on the roster. Yeah, no, Mike Montgomery is the, the last of the super utility pitcher that we were, were so fond of the past couple of years. You know, he might be the best one out of all of those guys who have had that role. You know, at some point, he probably is going to get a chance um, in the starting staff. But right now, it's a nice luxury to have someone who, who is capable of, of pitching in you know high leverage spots, but also is um, good enough, has the pitches, and you know is stretched out enough that he can give you four or five innings when you need a guy to fill in the rotation. And you know he really is the best option available for the Cubs' sixth starter right now. I guess uh, Rob Sestrisny is up, and so is Pena. Both of them, one is taking the bullpen spot that was vacated by Montgomery when he basically went from swingman to fifth starter, and the other is for Justin Grimm, who we've seen him have electric stuff. He obviously was one of the guys who allowed the Cubs, who helped the Cubs win the World Series, and he pitched very well last year, like despite the fact that, well, Confirmation bias says that, well, he, he threw his really bad pitch and he gave up a home run and maybe that was the one that gave up the lead or tied the game, but he still pitched well enough overall that you can consider him a valuable uh, addition to the bullpen. But now he's out because of some weird finger issue that we didn't even know about. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's been some talk about the the increase uh, of blister issues, you know, theorizing about, you know, the potentially juiced baseball I think it's the the theory is maybe that they're they're tighter seams that is causing the the sort of rash of blister injuries all across baseball. So, I mean these, these finger injuries with with pitchers is not unique to the Cubs this season. A few years ago, Grimm was an impact guy. You know, he filled that that second closer role. I mean, where you know Hector Rondon was your your true closer, and and Grimm was the guy you could bring in 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 any inning. You know, anything from you know, the sixth to the eighth to try to put out a, a fire. Um, he's not that guy anymore, it doesn't seem at least, but he's still a, a valuable piece. And, you know, if he's the fifth or sixth guy coming out of your, your bullpen, you know, you're you're in a really good spot compared to most teams. Right. I, I feel like every guy on the roster right now kind of deserves to be there. And unfortunately, of course, Wilson Contreras has his hammy problem. Uh, Addison Russell has his plantar fasciitis, and I, I feel like I sort of have something like that because my heel always hurts. It's it's not fun. <laughs> no, so no, it's not a fun injury. And it's kind of nice to know that there's enough depth that uh, they can just let him rest, despite the fact that it's only a one and a half game lead, and everybody's freaking out. And it's like, oh, the Cubs are screwed up again. They're terrible, and. You're like, well, they kind of did win the World Series last year. And I keep harping on this because it's true. And I, I feel like people just lose perspective and they lose their ability to enjoy the game, which is kind of ironic about, you know, what we're going to talk about next. But I, I just feel like this team is going to be okay. And if they don't win this year, so what? You know, just one before I die, right? But 
that's not the attitude of the players on the field. They obviously want to win it day in and day out, uh, year after year. But uh, even they have the lim- limits, and it's at this point understandable given what we know about fatigue and injuries and wear and tear and whatnot with just science and training and everything being much more advanced than it used to be. Yeah, I mean, I I can empathize with with being greedy at this point. We've waited so long for a a consistently good team. So, yeah, they, they did win, and it was a great year. It was a magical year last year. But the same token, this is a team that's set up to compete for it, you know, year in and year out. And the unfortunate thing here is, is that, and that's what we're seeing this year particularly, is things like, you know, your your pitching is is fragile. John Lester has been really good, really important, but he's starting to get up there in age. And so how many more years of front of the rotation John Lester do you have and so even though they did win one last year I don't know there is still a sense of urgency you know of, of trying to establish you know just how good this this core is their, their legacy is cemented because they were the team to break the curse but I mean it's going to be one thing if they win one in this window that Theo Epstein has identified of you know seven years that basically started you know in 2015 Right. You know, if they only win the one, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be a, certainly a different sort of legacy than if they can grab another title or two in that time frame. Yeah, of course. And I think uh, most of us would be disappointed if they were essentially this century's version of those late 90s uh, Atlanta Braves. Like, just playoffs year in, year out. And we understand that baseball's a crapshoot and all that, but you you would think that this team is stacked to win, but then you look at, say, teams like the Dodgers, who are just refusing to lose this year, or the Nationals, who have a souped-up offense, even without Bryce Harper, who's who's injured on, at the moment. But uh, yeah, I feel like the Cubs basically have to get past either the Nationals or the Dodgers, and then they can get back in the end. But that's a really tall task because of how good those teams are. And then you realize, well... Just because the Cubs are good doesn't mean that the rest of the league can't be good or the rest of MLB can't be good. And you realize that baseball, just fundamentally at its core, is a really, really hard game to play. Once again, I'm just keeping it in perspective, trying not to get too angry or sad, because a lot of these games are fun. Even the loss, where they were down 9 to nothing, and then they stormed back and tied the game and made it close and everything. That was fun, even though they lost. And I, I feel like a lot of people are losing sight of the fact that this is supposed to be fun. And you, you have to admit, losing isn't as fun, but you can glean a lot of positive things out of even kind of goofy losses like that. Yeah, if we're talking about, you know, sort of the the bad timing of it, and in a lot of ways, you know, the Cubs have gotten sort of lucky with with the timing on, on things, you know, on having a year where, you know, so many things go wrong, uh, the division being down as much as it, it has been when, you know, two years ago, um, you know, they ended up in third place winning 97 games. So, I mean, they get, they get lucky in that sense, and they're also lucky in the sense of the timing of all these injuries. I mean, they've dealt with injuries all year, but to really get hit as hard as they have been recently with Wilson Contreras going down with uh, on top of Addison Russell, uh, John Lester, you know, it's happening at probably the softest part of the schedule that the Cubs have. Um, they're in a stretch right now where they're basically playing last place team after last place team. 
So, I mean, it, it, they're in a really good spot to be able to weather the, the storm here. And then you get, hopefully, you know, your roster back. You're positioned well, you know, to make a run and, you know, all things go well. Maybe they can pull off a 2006 Cardinals and, you know, sort of sneak into the playoffs winning a weak division, but get hot at the right time. Yeah, I think the 2007 Cubs won with 85 games. I feel like 85 games is in the cards here. Uh, no pun intended. I, I don't know. Like you say, last place teams, but you got to remember that the Blue Jays in the American League, despite being a last place team, are only three games out of the wild card because the American League is so bunched up together. Even though they're oh, they're like J. A. Happ, who the Cubs kind of beat up on uh, on Friday afternoon, he isn't a bad pitcher. Like the offense for for the Blue Jays is not bad. So it's within the realm of reason to expect that the Cubs will have a hard time trying to win or sweep this weekend. So if it doesn't happen, you you are disappointed. But again, perspective is important and realizing that there are 41 games left is also important. And by the time this airs, there'll only probably be like 36 games left or whatever. But the point is there there's time left. The September call-ups are on the way, and like there are a bunch of guys that we are very interested in seeing that we'll talk about at a later time. But uh, one thing that I was thinking about is you, you remember for the longest time, we as Cubs fans, like even though we keep telling ourselves that there is no curse, there is no curse, deep down in the back of our minds and our subconscious, that there's always that superstition, right? Yeah, no, I think uh, 2016 was, was useful in breaking a lot of those habits, but I, I still catch myself in thinking those you know, old ways of basically, well, how are they going to blow this one? No, it's old habits die hard. Yeah, because we've, we've been doing that for years. But I was just thinking in terms of what we discussed earlier, which is, oh, my gosh, the injuries, the bad pitching, poor offense. And despite all that, for whatever reason, the Cubs have gotten super lucky over the past few years in, you know, finding the right switch to turn on so that they can make the playoffs, finding the right, you know, tools or the rain delay or whatever. Maybe there is something to this curse thing, but I feel like because of the attitude of these guys, like let's let's play psychology real quick and just pretend that maybe there is some cosmic thread tying all this together. But guys having fun, guys being loose, the manager being like calm and collected, except when he yells at an umpire because they suck. The front office being so methodical, all of this seems to be playing into positive enough karma that even if there is a curse, it's being overwhelmed by all this positivity. And that's just, just one of those things that popped into my mind. And I, I really don't have a good way of articulating that into words so that I could put it in a blog. But I, I just thought I'd throw that out there and th see what you thought of it. You know, it's one of those things that unfortunately I, I think is unprovable one way or the other. But in listening to, you know, the people who have covered this team um, for a while, for decades, who were, you know, here when the, the team had that great year in 2008 when they won 97 games as well and then got swept by the Dodgers or 2003, talking about how those veteran teams, you know, because they really were largely veteran teams, were just sort of crushed under the weight of expectations. I mean, it, it might be an excuse, but it really did seem to like the people who had been observing these guys for, you know, 162 games 
uh, and whatever amount of playoff games they had been up to that point that that they were different in the in the postseason that they were were tighter and weren't playing up to their capability whereas you know the, the Cubs were you know in 2015 and 2016 the you know too young you know the loose manager not knowing really what they were up against and, and did things that no other Cubs team in our our lifetime had done. So it's certainly a plausible theory, but uh, again, it's it's something that makes you know intuitive sense, but we we really won't ever be able to to say definitively is accurate or not. Yeah, because there are a lot of things in baseball out of people's control, like the way balls bounce. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, right. phrasing, right? But phrasing. Yeah. So we're just done with phrasing, right? You never know where the baseball is going to go. You never know when someone's just going to run into one, even if you make the best pitch possible. You never know when the rain delay will come. Could it be our hero's moment? Could they somehow find a way? Will they rid us of these goals? The good thing is, like, we're we're still so mellow because of last year, but obviously we always want to look forward, and it, it's one of those things that we we can segue into the really hot take is just people yelling about you know us being always so positive and being so collected, and I'm just like, well, I guess we could be mad about things forever, or we can try to take a deep breath and you know what, like the night. After uh, the Cubs lost a series finale to Cincinnati, like I cleaned my classroom, I got went out with my wife to get some food, and I got myself a new phone, and that was a lot of fun. You know, it's it's like my life will go on, and obviously a lot of people will say things like, "You need to be more angry," or in our case, we're going to segue to the part where we talk about what happened on, on our Facebook page the other day, uh, basically sticking in the baseball. And just like, dude, just to be perfectly honest, most of us do this for fun. Like, we can't make a living wage doing this. Nobody can these days. Right, right. People who are actually, like, talented writers um, can't get paid. So what, what, what chance do uh, does a guy like me have? Um, I, I think there is, you know, some truth to that. I don't know. I, I often talk about, you know, sort of, football mentality, you know, where, you know, you're dealing with a, a sport um, that is incredibly popular, unfortunately more popular than um, our favorite sport. And, and that, that sort of thinking, I think, infects, you know, kind of the way that most people perceive other sports. That is, you know, in, in football, you know, you can only get 16 games. You, every loss really can be, you know, catastrophic, you know, is the difference between making the playoffs or not. Baseball, baseball doesn't work like that. Baseball's 162 games. It's a lot of games and, you know, it is a sport. Talk about the, the randomness of it really bad teams, you know, all-time terrible teams, you know, still win 50, 60 games. One loss doesn't matter that much. You know, a series loss doesn't matter that much. I mean, we we like to, to talk about, you know, turning points in the season and, you know, must-win games, but the reality is there are very few of those. Until you get to, you know, sort of teams being mathematically eliminated, teams really have a shot. It is healthier if you can 
you know, sort of weather the, the storm and, you know, try not to get too caught up in, in the best uh, moments and, and too down in, in the low moments. Uh, I often try to remind myself I'm not always successful in this because human being, but the, the old baseball adage of, you know, you're never as good as you are playing your best and you're never as bad as you are playing your worst, that the real truth of your team is kind of in the middle of those two levels of play. And and it's really mm-hmm. true because you know, you're going to see guys, you know, who are playing unbelievable for a week or two. I mean, Kosuke Fukudome always was, you know, Ted Williams for the month of April, but um, <laughs> by the end of the year, yeah. by the end of the year, he was you know a replacement level player. So you know, it, you just kind of have to keep that in mind. And so it gets frustrating being told that when you're mad. I mean, like seriously, like what is the worst thing you can tell someone who's upset is you know don't be mad. But it is true. And I guess it does take a little training and getting used to it to just understand how to get to your happy place and I I feel like I'm generally a positive person and I got to get to my happy place because like you and I are teachers like if we are too negative we project that on our students it's a bad day for everybody uh, given the kind of job that we're in so I try not to do that because I I, (laughs) we have a hard enough job as it is and if you're going to make a negative, then it's not going to be fun at all. So no, no. yeah, yeah, that's I, true. Yeah, I tr- no, I'm not sure I'm try. always successful. <laughs> definitely not. Like uh, Crowley and I last week were talking about how the school year is basically 183 instructional days, and that kind of corresponds to the baseball season, even though it's uh, September to June rather than April to October. The fact is that every day is a new day to either do well or do poorly. And if you do poorly, as long as it's not on the final, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, then (laughs) then you have another shot to get better. And that's what we're going for. That's a good philosophy. received my uh it's not august it's actually a july sports crate but today is august 19th and they promised an email by august like 5th or something and they didn't send me an email until last week which was like august 12th so this is a july so sports crate eons eons like this was supposed to be delivered the last week of july so let's see it's worth it, because I can't cancel this thing, or they'll just take my money and not give me anything. Oh, hey, I'm back, by the way. You are... What the heck is this? A meme. A meme holder. It's not in a full... You're a meme holder. Uh, let's see. Let's open this up. Is this, like, a sunshade for my car? Oh, I guess I can put this in the car. That's pretty cool. Actually, it's pretty useful. I, I forgot what the theme for this is, but now I got a sunshade for the car. I will actually put this in the car. That's that is actually extremely uh, useful. Wait, Chris Bryant. Oh, they actually gave me a good player this year. It's this time around. <laughs> so it is Chris Bryant. Let's open him up. What's up, mate? Here, read this card. It says round tripper, which makes sense. So. 
What's in it, Jason? Just read, read, go ahead and read it. Um, first off, we have a Chris Bryant action figure. Mm-hmm. Comes with a card. Then we have the sunshade that we just opened. Yes. And then we have the Hit the Road shirt. But don't crash. Hit the road! Okay, hold on. Um, Let's open up Chris Bryant here. A trading card for Chris Bryant. A Cubs wallet. It looks like creepy, Brian. He looks like a lawn gnome. And Look you at this. get a free month of MLB TV. I did not get a golden ticket again. Darn it. Okay. What's this one? Open this one up. Well, well, um, it's probably a wallet. Is it? Oh! How annoying. I just, like, bought a wallet. <laughs> Do you want the wallet? I guess I'll keep it. Yeah, I'll give you the wallet. The tin is actually kind of useful, too, that the wallet came in. So maybe... Do do we have any use for this tin other than holding the wallet that I'm, go I'm going to have one of us use anyway? I mean, it can hold, like, three cookies, basically. Three cookies. Those three cookies could be the cookies of destiny. Uh-huh. And I guess I have plenty of Cub shirts, so let's open this guy up real quick. This is a shirt. It's got some weird paper on Hit the road. Wrigley Field Roadies. It's a pretty nice shirt. You want to put it on? Just uh, It's got Illinois on it and Cubs right in the corner where Chicago meets Lake Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, he's got a stand. Okay. So. Oh, this this is interesting. You can you can either uh, put Chris Bryant in with a bat, so he's got a bat, or he's sloppy with it. Or you can pop off his wrist and put a glove on. That's kind of creepy, actually. Wait, you, you rip off his wrist so you can put a glove on it. Yeah. That, that's horrible. Poor Chris. Okay, let's see. So here's glove, this hand. Oh my god! Okay. Chris just fell out. Right. Look at that. Look at this guy. He's got the helmet. But you can't take the helmet off and replace it with a cap because, like, um, who, who actually. Oh, wait. I snapped his neck. Don't do that. Who actually bats with a, or fields a position with a batting helmet on, right? So let's go ahead and put the bat in his wrist. There we go. There you go. So now he's got the whooping stick. Whoop people with it. Oh no! This hand falls off too! I hope it goes back on. Alright. Wait, 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 wait. <clears throat> It's like Legos. It always falls apart every time you try to put on something. Let's see. Like, so I guess you I put on one piece, off. you have to take another piece off, and then the entire thing just collapses. Yeah, I feel like if we do this too much, uh, the little nubbins that pop the, that secure the wrist inside the wrist socket are going to pop off, so I would recommend leaving the glove off. And just leaving his hand on, like this. Yeah, don't rip his hand off, man. 
Let's see if we can actually bend him enough. Oh, no. He killed him. His wrist fell off again. Okay, hold on. What? No, 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 no. There's some, something going on. Okay. Okay, so he's holding holding the bat. Let's do this. Let's pop his other hand onto the bat. Okay. And, yeah, he's got the ankle guard and everything. So can you open this and it's take the, the, take the plate out? Oh, this is actually one of the better, uh, better figures. Like, he doesn't actually look like Chris Bryant. He looks like Sean Doolittle. <laughs> look, look at this guy. Like, if he didn't have the batting helmet on and he had a gnome hat, he he would be a garden gnome. Noam Chomsky. Yep. How do you know about Noam Chomsky? That's impressive. What? You just said Noam Chom. Chom I'm talking about G N O M E, not uh, no no oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. I was saying gnome. Yeah. yeah, but this is gun gnome, like you know, with a silent G. Yeah, I know. Anyway. Uh, I can't here, open it. hold Chris Bryan, and I'll open up the the plate here. Okay. So. There we go, and now we go. He broke got, his foot. Why, why do you keep breaking my Chris Bryant? There we go. It's got to do that. You see, he's been avoiding the DL so far in his career, and you're just kind of breaking them, like if this is voodoo doll situation. So check it out. It's pretty cool. If it was a voodoo doll situation, I, I'd feel very terrible. Well, so we got... Where, where'd the glove hand go? Well, we'll just leave it here. So we got Chris Bryant. Hey, look, at that. it's your disembodied hand with a glove on. Yeah, he, he hit it so hard that, like, the catcher's hand flew off. Anyway, so uh, we got ourselves a Cubs wallet, a sunshade, Chris Bryant card, and I think that was it. And your new t shirt. So that, that was pretty good. That was a pretty solid sports crate. And uh, me likes. Yeah, the only problem is it's three weeks late, which means I'm gonna get the August crate sometime in Halloween, and the September crate probably after Thanksgiving. Put that scissors away. And and the December crate in probably a few years. There is no December crate. Really? Yeah, the September crate is the last crate. Oh. So I got three out of five so far. Uh, we'll figure out where to put this in your bedroom, but that's pretty I much it. I hope you get a golden ticket soon. Go and take it next time. Peace. More than just a game. And now we get to the nitty gritty. So, uh, Mike, you're a history teacher. I'm a science teacher. We tend to try to think as logically as we can, right? Yeah, I, I would think so. Yeah. That's the goal. Let's get to the point where we can agree on something. Can All we right. simply agree that racism is bad and Nazis are bad and bigotry is bad? I'm going to have to think for a moment, but yeah, I think we can agree on those those principles. I think those are solid guiding principles for any discussion here. I'm pretty sure you're still working on Cubs Den and Bleacher Nation are bigger Cubs sites, and you guys generally tend to stick to sports. 
which is fine. But there are certain times when we actually have to write about things, like when, for example, Dexter Fowler was getting a lot of, let's just say, derogatory comments on his Twitter about, say, being property. Yeah, no, the yeah. The, the property comments, I mean, that... that I guess it's that, technically that was, that true. Technically that, true, tough, but yeah. Right. Well, well, yeah. I mean, it, it, that really gets to a way in which we, we talk about baseball players and, and we sort of dehumanize them as being assets. And that was a conversation that I think a lot of us here were guilty of. I know I was guilty of, of that early in the Theo Epstein regime, you know, talking about years of control uh, and assets. I mean, and so there is a certain level of grossness when you you're talking about um, an african-american male as being property even at this point in time so i i feel like as teachers we assume that everybody has the capacity to learn like i used to be pretty conservative like in, in that kind of way where i'm like i i ex respect people's rights but i want to keep more of my money and I want like certain things that maybe align with uh, conservative values. But just speaking from my personal standpoint, I haven't voted for a Republican in probably 10 or 12 years because I think they've all gone nuts. And, you know, I'm still registered as Republican, but I, I can't identify very well with either side. But at this point, I'm identifying with the part that says maybe you should re denounce white supremacy and racism and bigotry. And that seems to align more with the Democratic Party. And a lot of people don't like hearing that. So I've been trying to stay away from there. But as we all know, Charlottesville happened. And that was a horrifying event for a lot of us. Like, I guess I spent most of my life with blinders on. Like, I went to uh, school systems where they were primarily white and my parents were fairly affluent. They're, you know, a lot more wealthy than I am. Like, my brother has a better job than I do. They make more money. They have more fun than I do. Like, they just went to a trip to Dubai. And I'm just like, well, I'm trying to find a new job this summer, so I can't even go to, like, a road trip to the Baseball Hall of Fame like I wanted to. And that's, like, you know, much cheaper. But the point is, I, I feel like there is some common ground that we led off with that we should denounce these really bad things. Like, we should understand that humans are equals and that some of them have feelings. And when you start realizing that symbols, like, say, Chief Wahoo for the Cleveland Indians are bad, that's why Cleveland hasn't been using the Wahoo patch as much. When people start protesting the Washington Redskin because it's a really racist mascot, it's not even in the same league of classiness as, say, the Chicago Blackhawk, right? It, right. And, and there are a lot of things that go into it. And then you talk about Confederate monuments. And that's where I need to lean on your expertise, because a lot of people are saying that because a lot of states, especially southern states and communities, are starting to take down and relocate the Confederate statues, that they're trying to denounce history or erase history. And I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think they're trying to forget the history or pretend it never existed. I think they're just trying to take away a symbol that is obviously a symbol of hatred that should not belong in a public space. And perhaps I am a bit biased, and I readily admit that, but I think I speak for probably the majority of people when I say that those symbols probably should not be out there. Well, yeah, you, you've, you've touched on a, uh, on a lot of things, and I guess – 
in the interest of, of full disclosure here. I mean, and so then what I say here can be dismissed by probably about half the people listening here. But uh, I am I'm with you in, in not identifying with either of the two political parties. But I, politically, I am probably much farther to the left than you are. So for a lot of people, probably the things I'm going to say here now are, are completely null and void, but hopefully people will listen. I am by no means a, an expert in the field. I'm not a, a professional historian, but you know, my day job is to talk about these events and and the importance of these symbols and just learning from the past. So I do feel like I have some level of expertise. I think your assessment is accurate. You know, it's really hard to defend these monuments of Confederate government officials, Confederate generals as being anything but a symbol of white supremacy, especially when you look at the history of these monuments themselves. When these monuments, a large number of them, started going up. You know, it wasn't immediately after the Civil War. It wasn't even within the first, you know, decade, two decades. It was, it starts really in the 1920s, the 1930s. At the same time, you're seeing beginnings of the civil rights movement happening. And really it, you know, with, you know, major pushes for federal anti-lynching laws that never, ever get passed. These monuments really are part of a pushback against this attempt at getting civil rights legislation passed, you know, ending the Jim Crow system had developed in the South by that point in time. The same thing when you look at the history of the Confederate flag, just in the interest there, you know, some people will probably point out that the, you know, uh, stars and bars there was never the official Confederate flag. It was the battle flag. Right. Um, but when you see those things being added into, you know, southern states, you know, state flags, again, was a roughly around the same time period and can be seen as a direct reaction to attempts to end the horrible system of segregation that existed in the South, which I think everyone, regardless of political affiliation, agrees was bad and should end. And so knowing that history, I think it becomes a lot harder to defend these monuments as symbols of heritage as opposed to hate. And the idea that these monuments serve to remind us of the bad things that were done, it can't be supported by what you see on these monuments. I mean, many of them have very sympathetic messages to the figures that they're portraying. It's not like going to, and this is always a a loaded comparison, but when you compare it to the historical monuments that exist in Germany and Eastern Europe and Poland at sites of, you know, concentration camps and such, there's no glorifying of what the Nazis did. Right. The Confederacy, with these things, there is that level of glorification of that are good people and you get the, you know, lost cause, you know, mythology that has developed and is continuing to be spread by certain corners and certain political affiliations. So I wanted to just put something by you because the last time I took U.S. history was in high school when I took, you know, AP government and also just U.S. history. And I seem to remember there there was a period of reconstruction because basically General Sherman went scorched earth on you know, most of the South uh, on his, like, drive to Savannah. Right. He, he burned a lot yeah, of stuff Sherman's down. March and, the yeah, and, you know, the Simpsons made fun of this because Apu was doing the whole thing about, like, why the 
civil war was fought and then the guy said slavery but there was a whole different issue right because they needed the cotton industry in order to even make as much money as say pennsylvania like the entire south didn't have a good economy because they were relying mostly on slave labor to generate cotton and stuff so obviously it, it was like a issue between the poors and the haves right so there there's that in there and that might be why some people think there was a gap between when the civil war ended and when these statues started cropping up because they simply didn't have the funds and they were still too busy reconstructing because general Sherman burned everything to the ground. There's a lot in there. Um, I know exactly the, the, the Simpsons joke you mentioned there. All right. Here's your last question. What was the cause of the civil war? Actually, there were numerous causes, aside from the obvious schism between abolitionists and anti-abolitionists, economic factors, both domestic and international, played a significant... Hey, hey. Yeah. Just, just say slavery. Slavery it is, sir. Yes, I am a citizen. Now, which way to the welfare office? What? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I work, I work. That, that joke pulls on me in a number of ways. Obviously, and this is something I always stress with my students, and I'm going to be repeating it now probably for the next nine months here, but when you're talking about any major historical event, it very rarely is one thing. There's a lot of stuff going on. What bothers me about that joke and people try to decouple the Civil War from slavery is that slavery is really important. It really is about, you know, slavery and white supremacy. Many of the speeches, the Confederate Constitution, articles of secession from many of the states, you know, all list slavery as a, a primary cause of the Civil War. So, yes, it is true um, that there are lots of factors. There is a political dispute going on. I mean, there is a states' rights debate that was occurring um, in the 1800s. There was major economic and cultural differences between the regions of the country. I wouldn't say that it was struggling economically because cotton was such an important crop. The reason why cotton was such an important crop was because of the increasing industrialization that was going on first in England and then the rest of Western Europe and the northern part of the United States. That's what made cotton such a valuable commodity and made a, a small percentage of Southerners extremely wealthy. Reconstruction, yeah, certainly was partially, you know, a physical rebuilding of the South. Most of the fighting during the Civil War occurs in the South. There is periods of, of total war, and, and Sherman's march is very famous for this, of just destroying everything that they came into contact with. That's not all of the South. The tools of war at that point in time, just they weren't capable of doing the kind of destruction that, you know, we see in modern warfare. But you are correct. that There, there was a need to, for physical rebuilding. But Reconstruction was also about changing the political culture of, of these states. It goes through several periods. One period was led by President Johnson, which is very lenient on the South. You see the return of Confederate officials um, into government positions. Northern con Congress members get upset about it. It begins a period uh, called Congressional Reconstruction, where you see much stricter penalties placed on the South. You see the U.S. Army being sent in um, to ensure the rights of African Americans. You see the election for the first time 
in U.S. history of black Congress members. Um, you see a black governor elected in the 1870s, which would be the first black governor for basically 100 years until Wilder in uh, Virginia. You know, you see all this stuff. What follows in the towards the end of the 1870s is something referred to at the time as redemption. And you see redeemer governments where basically white Southerners reassert their control over the South. And so this is what kind of gets into that whole question is, is that if the desire, if there was this need to, to celebrate the Confederacy, I think you would have seen that occur much earlier. You, you had people who were sympathetic to the Confederate cause back in power within 12 years. Those explanations really don't hold up for me. Again, it really does, does seem like it, it is a reaction to feeling like a way of life built on racism yeah. and discrimination was under threat. And yeah. that's when you see these monuments go up. Yeah, and, you know, I was talking to my wife about this and realizing, oh, wait, there are Confederate monuments in Arizona. Arizona wasn't even a state until, like, 1912 or something. Uh, right. And it was a Union territory. So I'm just like, what, why Why is it there? And then you have Maryland, which is, was not a slave state, and there's obviously uh, Confederate <laughs> monuments in uh, Baltimore. Right. Well, well, Maryland was a slave state. It was, was it? one of the. Yeah, it, it, okay. it, it, it I, remained I, part of the Union. Uh-huh. It remained part of the Union. It was um, there's there's four slave states that remained gotcha. loyal. Those are the border states, you know, like uh, uh, and Maryland. Missouri what? and Maryland, right? Maryland, um, West Virginia actually splits off from Virginia and forms its own state. Kentucky and Missouri. The issue that I was bringing up is, like, maybe I was mistaken that it was not a slave state, but if it was a union state, how come it's celebrating the Confederacy? Why are you celebrating Confederacy when they lost and the union won? It it didn't make sense to me just from that point of view. But maybe I'm being a little too simplistic here. Like, some of these, I get what you're trying to tell me with the uh, whole Confederate monuments being brought up during basically Drim Crow laws being enforced, right? This is a Union state. Why is there a Confederate monument in the middle of a Union state? It's a good question. Um, part of the argument is that this is part of sort of a, a Southern cultural identity, you know, and so you, that's why you see it in some states which were loyal to the Union but have their own complicated um, histories with past things like Jim Crow laws and such. Missouri had various segregation laws, of course, Maryland as well. So it, it certainly fits into the narrative of that this isn't about remembering a mistake that was made that you know we shouldn't repeat here about fighting a civil war, about racism. These are monuments towards frankly, a, a racist ideology in support of a racist system that existed at that time that was under attack. And that's why you see those monuments go up. And that's why people are upset about them. And really, I think one of the things that I think people have in their mind is that this is a new issue, that this is just happening now. When there have been groups that have been upset about these things for Ever. Basically, yeah. since they've, they've gone up, there have been protests about it. It's just now there is enough momentum behind them that it's getting the attention. It's causing, you know, that, that popular opinion 
overall has finally shifted to match what these groups have been saying from basically the beginning. Yeah, I, I'm glad you talked about that because, like I was saying, I used to live with a lot of blinders on, and I don't know what demographic of students you taught, but I teach mostly uh, black and Hispanic students, and I've grown to admire and basically, like, as much as a teacher can love a student, I love my students. And I know that they're actual human beings with a lot of potential. And some of these things that are happening right now in this nation are marginalizing them even more than they already are. And so this really hits home to me. I, I don't like it. And I think I have a right to not like it, especially when the people protesting for quote unquote history are carrying semi-automatic weapons and yelling hate slogans to Jews and people of color and whatnot. It, it's scary and it's bad and it's about as un-American as you can get. And the fact that, for example, the president, uh, the people in charge, yeah, people on Fox News or whatever, they're not denouncing this right away. It's appalling, to say the least. And that's probably what's sticking on a lot of people's cross. Like, I don't know if you've checked the numbers on our Facebook page lately, but ever since I posted two, those two articles, uh, one of them was about Tampa Bay uh, sports teams basically funding the removal of Confederate uh, monuments. The other was about the Boston Red Sox owner, the new owner, trying to rename Yaki Way. And these are baseball-related. We're a baseball page. We love baseball, and when something is baseball-relevant, I feel like it's worthwhile to post. People have accused me of basically doing this to incite, and I'm not doing this to incite. I'm doing this to inform, but ultimately, I'm kind of glad that I lost 50 followers because I don't want to associate with them anyway because they're reflecting the thing that I, I feel like you and I are trying to solve is – we want people to be more educated. We don't want them to put their heads in the sand like I used to do. We don't want them to have blinders. We want them to understand the world and to understand their place in it and to try to make it a better place. And you can't do that if you always stick to sports. I, I teach in a, in a diverse environment, um, particularly for, for the area I'm in. One of the, the classes I teach is actually um, African-American history. Uh, the events that are, are unfolding right now certainly are on my mind. One of the things that I love but is also challenging about being a social studies teacher is I feel like it's it's my duty to talk with students about these complicated issues that are going on in the world. Um, and it, it can be tough because, I mean, I don't have all the answers on these things, but you know, the events in Charlottesville um, and, and the, the world around us here, that's yeah, certainly been something I've been thinking about how, how I'm going to incorporate that when we get started here. As far as, you know, sticking to sports here, that is a very contentious topic here. Sports is wonderful because it can provide a common ground for, for us. I mean, it's something that is, you know, lacking as we're entering this world where there is so much media and there is so much interconnectedness, but there's also so much the abrust to section ourselves off. And so to have this space where we can all come together is important. On the other hand, there are, there are issues of, of right and wrong here. As we started off at the beginning, I think it was an excellent way to start. Racism is bad, fundamentally wrong. When you look at the images of Charlottesville, 
there are people carrying, you know, Nazi flags, they're chanting Nazi slogans, but I'm going to quibble with you when you say that this is, you know, un-American. Sadly, through my own studies, I can tell you that that movements like this have existed in this country from the very beginning. Yeah, I've seen like black and white photos of people marching like pre-World War II and it's like even during World War II and it's like really, really shocking because that's the part they don't teach you in high school uh, history as much as they should have, at least not for me. Like I took high school history probably over 20 years ago. And I, I feel like I've been misinformed in a way because I didn't get to see that side of it. That kind of makes me feel bad because I feel like I'm very educated, especially when it comes to the sciences. But, you know, in terms of this stuff, this history, I rely on the fellow history teachers at my, my schools or my wife, who is a lot better at this stuff than I am. Like, I didn't know a lot of this stuff happened. And, you know, I could say that, well, I'm an immigrant and yada, 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 and blame the educational system. But ultimately, it's part of it is on me to get myself educated. And I feel like I need to provide that kind of agency to the students that we teach as well. And hopefully they could eventually make this a better place. And just segueing back to me, like it, it always, <laughs> yeah, it was all about me. But anyway, uh, it's bugging me when I try to tell uh, my students who are, again, people of color, that they matter when there are so many people that you see on TV telling them that they don't. And I don't know how to reconcile that, that idea of agency with them and tell them that these people shouldn't matter, even if they are dangerous, like you can overcome them. And it, it makes me feel a little disingenuous because I don't feel as powerful as I should with that message, you know? And that that's one of those things that sticks in my crowd when people who may obviously have a little bit more privilege are telling you to stick to sports because they don't have these same issues, that uh, same problems with crime and poverty and people trying to always just marginalize you. It bugs me in ways that I can't articulate because I, I think I get legitimately angry now when I think about it. I, I think you're fair. I think that's a, a fair response in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think that anger is felt by a lot of people. In defense uh, of my fellow history teachers, history's a, a big, broad subject. Um, it's it's different than really every other subject in that there isn't one set curriculum. Physics, you know, that there are just sort of certain concepts that you know need to be taught and by and large, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe how it's seconded out and such is different, but There's one sort of curriculum for that. There's a lot more common ground between those. There are so many different ways to approach a class like U.S. history or world history. There's no way to cover every event that happened in the roughly, you know, 400 years or a lot of schools are chopping it down to, you know, the 20th century, you know, even even just covering 100 years. You know, there, there's no way to, to hit on everything fully. So there's choices that have to be made. And that's, you know, that, that's just the reality of the subject. Unfortunately, you know, I, there's a lot of disagreement about what the point of, of history itself is. You know, a lot of people basically feel like, you know, it's, it's this grand narrative that needs to be taught, that there's this story. And, and even if you feel like that's the importance and the power of history is learning that story. Well, there's not just one story for America. There's not just one story for the world, obviously. 
one of the things that I think is important about history is that I think it's uniquely able to teach empathy. Um, and that's something that's, that's been lacking in the world recently. I mean, it's certainly lacking when another human being can drive into a crowd of people. And I think you hit on something that's really important, and that's the experiences that we have as individuals don't represent the totality of experiences going on in this country. That just because you haven't personally faced any difficulties or any issues, or even if you have, because, I mean, no one has gone their whole life without facing some difficulties, some problems. That's not to say that there aren't people who have faced much greater difficulties and that are facing issues that are systemic and out of their control completely. And that's the world we live in right now. Yeah. Uh, as I said, just before, you know, I let you take over here and, you know, I've been thinking about exactly that same sentiment you have of, of what do you tell you know, students, particularly you know, students uh, who are people of color. And, you know, something I actually stumbled onto today was a based as bringing up a speech that James Baldwin made uh, in 1963, talking about the teaching of history and the importance of teaching of history for um, particularly African Americans. And one paragraph here that really stuck out, stuck out to me that I'm going to read here real quick, and that is, I would try to make him know that just as American history is longer, larger, more various, more beautiful, and more terrible than anything anyone has ever said about it. So is the world larger, more daring, more beautiful, and more terrible, but principally larger, and that it belongs to him. I would teach him that he doesn't have to be bound by the experiences of any given administration, any given policy, any given morality, that he has the right and the necessity to examine everything. And I, I put that out um, on my Twitter earlier today because, hey, I wanted to save it for myself. So that's one of the easiest ways for me to do that. And I'm going to find it a way to incorporate that uh, probably in the first or second day of class. So uh, that's kind of where my headspace is at. Could it be your hero's moment? Could they somehow find a way? Will they rid us of these ghosts of shame? Well, I, I unfortunately admit to not reading every tweet because uh, I was playing Whirly Ball. Have you ever played Whirly Ball? No, I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I haven't ever uh, yeah. participated. So, so there was this place on the north side that our school did our like end of summer party, and I brought my son, and he had a good time, like just bumper cars and high alive, basically, with wiffle balls. It's, it's a funky little game, but we had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, again, it, it was really nice to just escape the uh, reality that we live in right now. And, of course, you see late-night talk show hosts uh, lampooning it. John Oliver does it on Sundays. And, you know, they do a really good job. They try to put humor in it. But there's, I, I guess that's our defense right now. Until we go full-on revolution, which I hope doesn't have to happen, that's our only defense is just laughter and trying to laugh it off. And everybody talks about freedom of speech and then they tell me that I can't post something on the page that we founded on the basis that we like to entertain ourselves and we like to entertain people. But at the end of the day, we are humans. We have thoughts. 
And I think we are on the right side of history here when we say, again, let's reiterate, just as the Cubs won the World Series last year, except some people forget that. People keep forgetting that racism is bad, bigotry is bad, Nazis are bad, and I don't think you need a statue to know that. And as for freedom of speech, yeah, yeah, sure. It's an American ideal for anybody to be allowed to say whatever they want without legal recourse, but that doesn't absolve you of accountability. And I think that's what is what a lot of people don't understand is like if you are out there parading without your clan hood with Nazi flags and you're on camera, you're shouting bad slogans and now your employer sees you, it's really bad for their hashtag brand and they're going to fire you and there's nobody to blame but yourself. Yes, you've exercised your free, free speech and everything. And yes, you can't follow or unfollow any page you want, including ours at World Series Dreaming. But you're, you're ultimately accountable to your own words. And I own up to it. Yeah, I don't care that we lost a lot of followers because these are people I don't want to associate with anyway. Because they, they are count, contrary to what I believe in and what I think I should stand for as a teacher, as an educator of use, as hopefully, <laughs> you know, uh, somebody who helps guide the next generation of kids. And sure, maybe they'll t tell me that I'm indoctrinating people or that I am a terrible person because of said indoctrination, but I don't think that is that way. I think the more you teach people to be compassionate about each other, the better the world is and the fewer problems that we'll have. And maybe that's too idealistic, but I was idealistic too when uh, Theo Epstein took over and everybody freaked out. So there you go. There you go indeed. All right. Speaking of, uh, let's move on. Uh, I noticed uh, today Javier Baez hit his 20th home run, and that's significant. Do you know why? Uh, why? Because this is like the – like third or fourth time that five different Chicago Cubs have hit 20 home runs in the same season. So, wow. so that happened in like the fifties at some point, either the fifties or sixties that happened in 2003. Obviously Sammy Sosa was there. And I think it also happened in 2008 because you had like Derek Lee and Giovanni Soto and Aramis Ramirez. And I think, Alfonso Soriano, and maybe even Mark DeRosa. I don't, I don't even remember, but there were five. And this year, I want to, I want to say maybe like even like Jim Edmonds, Edmonds had like 15 or something crazy. Even he was only, he wasn't even there for like the first month or something, you know? Yeah. But yeah, there was a ton of people. So at this point, I think uh, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras, who's on the deal, Kyle Schwarber has exactly 20, and Javier Baez just got his 20. Ian Happ is on the outside looking in with 17. If he stops striking out so much, which uh, it's just one of those things that happens, like it happened to Chris Bryant, happened to Rizzo for a while. It's obviously still happening to Baez, but I think he'll get the 20, so that'll be six, and I think that'll break the club record. And juice balls or not, that's really impressive, and I thought that's a happy note that we can end on, just knowing that these are the guys who are going to be with the team for at least until 2022. Yeah, yeah. And ju just because of my own curiosity, I had to look it up. And the the, the five players who did hit um, 20 home runs or more in 2008 was Giovanni Soto, Derek Lee, Mark DeRosa, Aramis Ramirez, 
and Alfonso Soriano and Jim Edmonds had 19. So he was just one short of being the sixth. Yeah, darn that missing month. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank everybody for sticking through with us. Like, I know this has been a difficult uh, week for us as a society, as a Cubs blog. Like, people say, you're just a Cubs blogger. But, you know, we are humans. We feel, and hopefully there's going to be a better tomorrow for both the Chicago Cubs if we're sticking to sports and for America, if we're not. So I'd like to thank you, Mike, for hanging out with us. Uh, you're on Twitter. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at uh, Dabinsky, uh, D-A-B-Y-N-S-K-Y. Yeah, you're still writing for uh, Cubs Den and us every yeah. now and then, and also BP Wrigleyville. So that's really cool. Mike yeah. is hashtag big time, or <laughs> at least medium time. Barely, yeah. 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 So slightly, slightly bigger. <laughs> yeah. So we are on Twitter for all of those of you who aren't racist and bigoted and want to keep following us. Uh, we are at WSDreaming underscore Cubs. We are also on Facebook where all the shit happened. You, you can still follow us there. Like eventually we'll get to 25,000, but uh, we're glad we didn't lose all of you. And I'm very, very thankful for those of you who lent your support while our comments basically went to hell. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can find us at worldseriesdreaming.com. Uh, any of you who feel angry enough to send us angry emails, please email us at worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. Rate and share our podcast on iTunes. We would appreciate any rating, even if you hate us now and want to rate it a zero. Whatever. Uh, thanks to Rich Deanna for the theme music and thanks to Randall Sanders an awesome cuz follow for the final outs because everybody keeps forgetting that the cuz won the world series so keep that in mind okay guys uh, thanks to you again Mike for putting up with me and educating me we always enjoy learning new things here well, thank you it was nice to have a, a, a bit of practice before uh, the real thing starts here in a week yep I gotta practice my own stuff gotta teach people about stoichiometry and the periodic table and stuff so that, that'll be fun <laughs> until next time everybody for those of us who are s- still sticking with us at World Series Dreaming thank you for listening and go Cubs more than just a game.